podcast family. Trust me when I tell you, I really am not braggadocious. I really am not. <laughs> Trust me, I'm not. <laughs> Even though I know a handful of people who would probably argue differently. The intent is not to be braggadocious because behind a braggadocious statement or statements is is pride and or conceit. And trust me, that's not where my heart is coming from at all. But when I say something like, hey, we were ahead of the curve on this one, I don't mean that in a braggadocious kind of way. I'm saying that because it's just a fact. I mean, we were kind of ahead uh, of the literature uh, with a certain regard or some piece of work that we did, whatever. Well, I'm saying all that because we were ahead of the curve. And again, I don't mean that braggadocious on the topic that we're presenting today. You see, we covered back on May the 8th, this whole idea of slowed fetal growth trajectory when you do rate of growth ultrasounds and the baby seems to kind of plateau on growth or fall below growth, but yet is still above the 10th percentile. We reviewed all of the data that said, hey, that's not normal either. And that's definitely linked to some adverse perinatal outcomes. And though the absolute number is still very small, the relative risk of certain things like stillbirth is real and cannot be ignored. Okay. So back on May the 8th, when we released our episode, quote, slowed fetal growth trajectory and neonatal outcomes, end quote, we were ahead of the curve. Now, there was already data on that. That's why we covered and and did that episode. But to show how much ahead we were, we're actually going to highlight a new publication that was just released ahead of print yesterday, which was Christmas Day, which is December 25th, uh, in the Gray Journal. Okay, this has not yet officially come out yet, but it will in 2024, because that's the official date of print, 2024. So this is ahead of print, all right? Look how fast medicine moves. Again, this uh, manuscript was uh, received in October 2023. It was revised uh, early December and then accepted on the 21st of December 2023 and then out ahead of print on December the 25th. And we're covering it now. All to say is we covered the importance of this back in May. So First of all, if you're thinking, well, if we already covered this, why would you listen to this episode? Because it's the same information, yet different. You know, here's what I mean by that. We're going to cover three different models of what slowed fetal growth looks like, even though they're above the 10th percentile, meaning they're not FGR, but three different models of what slowed fetal trajectory looks like in which one of those three is better than the others. Plus, we're also going to give you a super handy, super reliable uh, online calculator that you can keep on your phone. I have it as a, as a homepage uh, on my phone app. And you can, or you can go online on your laptop to put in some super easy information about when the last ultrasound was done, when this ultrasound was done, what the baby's fetal growth was then and what it is now. And then it will calculate for you using AI um, if the fetal growth trajectory is normal or slowed. Okay. And the reason that's important is because slowed fetal growth trajectory, again, is an independent risk factor for adverse prenatal outcomes, even though the fetal weight is above 10th percentile. Now, we're going to touch all this. We're going to review this very briefly because we're not going to rehash the May uh, 8th uh, podcast episode, but we are going to just review that briefly so we don't forget what what happened in that episode. And then we're going to highlight this new publication. Again, not out yet, just out ahead of print on December the 25th. 2023. 
And we're going to give you, once again, that online calculator so that if it says load fetal trajectory, you've got to put that patient in some kind of watch plan, whether that's, you know, obviously continued ultrasound, whether that's education, um, is that surveillance? We're going to talk about that in this episode. So let's get to this new podcast episode, which we're taping on December the 26th, one day after Christmas, which is 24 hours after this went out live online. The title of this publication, again, hasn't even come out yet. The title is Fetal Size versus Growth, Comparative Analysis of Three Models of Growth Velocity Based on Third Trimester Estimated Fetal Weights for Identifying Stillbirth Risk. Let's talk about that now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves really fast. This is Clinical Pearls. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. My goodness, I'm so thankful that, as our tagline says, medicine moves fast because we're learning a lot. I mean, how many times do we do a rate of growth ultrasound and you know we plot it on on the graph or obviously the headlock gives you the composite percentile growth and it says, oh, it's you know thirteen percent or or twenty percent. We're like, okay, great. Hey, you're above the tenth percentile and below the ninetieth, so. We'll take it. It's fine. But we don't really plot that against the previous ultrasound to see what the growth trend has been. That's called the growth trajectory. So the point is, we've got to think more about fetal growth than just being between the two uh, uh, goalposts of 10% and 90%. Well, I guess that's not really a goalpost, is it? What is that? The field lines? What, what is it? My, my sports analogies are not as good as others, I guess. But you know what I mean? You've got to stay within the, the, the lanes. How about that? Of 10 percentile and 90 percentile and stay in the middle. That's been the traditional thinking uh, for obstetrics for fetal growth. And that's OK. That's that's definitely acceptable because we know that fetal growth under the 10th percentile could be a marker for for problems. That's called fetal growth restriction. Although, as we talked about in the last episode, there's even that's got some some issues because in populations where the maternal body habitus is very small or there's constitutional factors, uh, ethnic slash racial factors where the baby just is just small, um, then that could artificially present as FGR. But it's very hard to do population specific growth charts. So most people traditionally have stuck with Hadlock, which is where you get the 10th percentile and 90th percentile. None of that's new. We've all covered that many times before, right? But what we're looking at now and what the data has been really uh, growing and that snowball has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it rolls is that, yes, that's a thing that's still good. But what that growth is doing over time is equally important, more so for slowed fetal growth. All right. So let's give an analogy. You do an ultrasound at 28 weeks, the start of the third trimester, and that baby's at 60 percent fetal growth. Great. 
Okay, keep on going. Let's say there's an indication and you do a repeat fetal growth ultrasound in three to four weeks. And you do that and now fetal growth is in the 30th percentile. See, so as a standalone snapshot, uh, now let's say at 32 weeks, you go, ah, hey, the child's at 30%. All right, you're above 10, below 90. We'll keep going. looks good, which is fine. But that baby has now slowed in its growth, right? We said it was 60%. Now it's about 30%. You do it again in three to four weeks. Uh, and so now we're what? I lost my math. Let's say 35 or 36 weeks. And you go, ah, baby's at a 15th percentile. We're good. We're still above the 10. But you see how that baby's growth has now slowed. It, it's, it's kind of plateaued and or come down from 60, 30 to 15 or whatever my numbers were because I kind of forgot my own example. But the idea is as that fetal growth slows, that child may be reflecting in a poor intrauterine environment because why is that growth slowed down? So again, historically, we thought, hey, you're above the 10th percentile. You're good. Don't worry about it. And that's still acceptable in some cases. However, what the data is now showing that if, if there is this slowed growth trajectory where it kind of plateaus and or goes down, that also is considered a flag. Now, if the growth is persistently 15%, uh, you know, 18%, then it's 20%, then it goes to 15%, that's the error of the ultrasound. That's, that's kind of constant. That's fine. If it's hugging the line, but still growing appropriately, does that make sense? So it's still in the lower quartile. But it keeps, but it's growing. That's fine, as long as it's above the tenth percentile. See, so that that's okay. But when it is higher, and then that percentile starts to decline, that could be a flag. And so this is what we're going to talk about today, because this is exactly what we referenced back in May, and with this new publication again that came out twenty four hours ago in the Gray Journal, American Journal of OBGYN further analyzes and it takes a look at three different models that we're just briefly going to touch because it's it, it's pretty complicated there's a lot of math in there but you need to know uh, these three different types and and which one performed the best at not just identifying future SGA but more importantly which one actually raised the relative risk of stillbirth Okay, that's what we're trying to prevent here, right? Uh, preventing small babies is a big deal because they have genetic imprinting. They could have that intrauterine stress environment we've talked about many times before. And so, yes, avoiding SGA, true FGR babies is 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 a good thing. But, of course, the most uh, horrific thing would be, you know, loss of, of the child. So this is why knowing that the growth trends is a big deal. And I do want to encourage you that at once I give you this website at the end, this little calculator that tracks fetal growth, uh, to use it because it's, it's a, it's a low cost intervention because it's free. Uh, it's not mine. It's not ACOGS. It's, it's actually from the UK. Uh, but but it's another piece of, of information that we can use for ourselves as healthcare providers and also educate our patients uh, as to what could be going on. Now, I have to be very clear because right now, ACOG's indications for outpatient fetal surveillance only include established FGR, okay? And then, you know, abnormal Dopplers accordingly. So if you look at the indications for outpatient fetal surveillance, a slowed fetal growth trajectory uh, really isn't on there, okay? So this is why I'm saying there's still some gaps in this, but as this now kind of picks up steam that, guys, it's not enough just to be above the 10th percentile. What that growth has been doing over time is also important. Uh, then that's something that perhaps you could uh, also 
look into for fetal antepartum surveillance. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do it if you see that ultra growth, because that's the whole reason to, to be aware of this, because it would be horrible if we said, oh, baby's growth is slowed. Uh, that's called a slowed fetal growth trajectory. Okay, well, I wish you the best. No, no, I mean, still, I would definitely put that patient at least uh, through an NST or a modified biophysical, at least to do some kind of surveillance because that baby has a slowed trajectory. But realize that if you look at the ACOG table for outpatient and part of fetal surveillance, that wordiness is not there. So I have to be very clear about that. Y'all, was I kind of rambling there? Because I feel like I was. I mean, my goodness, I take two days off and my brain, is that weird? I mean, I'm very thankful that I had Christmas Eve and Christmas where I didn't have to work. Super thankful. Um, But it's like, ugh, my my, my brain kind of like fell off the tracks a little bit. And I I mean, I was still looking up stuff, even though I promised my family I wouldn't. I just can't help it. But I feel like I mean, try to come back and my brain is like, get in the first gear, brother. Get in the second gear. It's working. I mean, the wheels are turning. Um, and it's only been two days. My goodness. Just as I go off script again, we, we have one big family trip a year. Okay. Oh, we try to, you know, God allowing if we're healthy and nothing else is going on. One international trip. As a way to make our memories. Look, we, we live under our means. We don't have this extravagant mansion and everything else. We just, we, we just don't need that. We, you know, my car's good, but it's not, you know, the 2028 model of a Tesla. Uh, you know, it's just, that's not where we choose to spend our money. We choose our, to spend our money on vacations and family time together to make memories. That's our, that's just what we choose to do. Nothing wrong with those other things. Okay. Um, but, but when, my point is when I go on an international vacation and we typically go for anywhere from, you know, seven days to 10 days, um, I, I got to keep on. I mean, my brain, I've got to keep my brain active because with the little ADD, uh, you know, issue that I've got, I, my brain can very easily derail. So I've got to keep a train. I'm, I'm try, I always try to keep it active and look up some stuff. That's why I read so much because – it's very easy for me to, you know, to for the brain to go off on his own vacation. So, again, do you see how this has happened? What is the purpose of me telling you about my vacations? Oh, oh the two days I took two days off for Christmas, and and so now I feel like I'm rambling. Uh, point made. I just know that our program editor is going to text me when he hears all this and is going to go, "Oh my goodness, brother, you need some some more." caffeine get back on your add medicine or something i mean my goodness anyway he'll probably edit half of that stuff out anyway back to acog's committee opinion uh, that we just referenced that was indications for outpatient antepartum fetal surveillance that was number 828 right 828 from june 2021 Remember, it goes through a little bit of text, but the real value in this is that nice little table that uh, lists things from the fetal compartment, the maternal compartment, and then placental uh, as to when to begin antepartum fetal surveillance, right? And as we said, it, it's it's great, but maybe not like every single thing is on there because it's this is a guide, right? So that And that's the one, th- this is where I'm going. If it's not on here, but there's obviously an abnormal maternal or fetal condition, Put her on in part of fetal surveillance, for heaven's sakes. I mean, my goodness. Um, yes, I get the idea that the more that you look for things, the more you can increase intervention. That goes for all antepartum fetal surveillance. But alter fetal growth trajectory, just because it's not right now in this table from June of 2021, 
It does leave something there for a professional judgment and interpretation because slowed fetal growth trajectory is an independent risk factor for adverse prenatal outcomes. So if you're thinking, I have never heard of that, that's nonsense, as long as it's above the 10th percentile, you're good, I encourage you to please go to the May 8th, 2023 episode where we reviewed all that data. Okay, so back to table one from this committee opinion uh, under uh, fetal factors, it's growth restriction. And remember that this table does not include this altered fetal growth. And that's one of the issues here that's um, that's problematic, but it is what it is. Now, we can't leave this issue on antepartum fetal surveillance without talking about the sister committee opinion, because there's actually two that go hand in hand here and uh, ironically, or not ironically, I mean, perfectly planned, I guess, they they uh, button up to each other from June and July of the same year, 2021, all right? So ACOG's committee opinion 828 was the indications for antepartum fetal surveillance that we just talked about that came out in June. And then the following month in July of 2021, ACOG's committee opinion 831 came out, which was indications for late preterm and early term delivery. Okay, so you've got indication for antepartum fetal surveillance. And if you find, oh my God, something is jacked on here, I need to get this kid out, then you match that to the indications for late preterm slash early term delivery. So those are two committee opinions back to back in June and July. And once again, in the July 2021 committee opinion, which is 831, slowed fetal growth trajectory is not on that list, all right? Just established FGR with or without abnormal Dopplers, okay? So this is why I said, uh, I mean, just you can't have everything on this list. This list is pretty good. It's really good. Uh, but it can't be uh, all inclusive uh, because there's just too many things to, to potentially put in there. All to say, the question is, what do we do with altered fetal growth trajectory that's plateaued. Uh, is it a true indication for surveillance? Is Do we get them out early? And the answer is we're going to have to do that on an individual basis with, quote, shared decision making, end quote. You know that comes up whenever the data is kind of hokey and stuff is out there and it's like, oh, I should do something, but it's not really in the guideline. That is shared decision making. At the least, that's one where you follow up with serial ultrasounds. You give the patient education. uh, You bring them back probably uh, more frequently if able. And you don't let them go past 39 weeks if there's good dating. Okay. And even if there's kind of not so good dating, uh, the altered fetal growth trajectory at 39 weeks is kind of difficult to um, do not recommend getting out because of the increased risk of adverse perinatal outcomes. Also say individualized care. We know what to do when there's established FGR, but established FGR, that fetal uh, weight under the 10th percentile uh, is the end result. We don't want to necessarily wait for that to happen because the slowed trajectory can be the first marker, just like abdominal circumference, guys. Remember, what's the first marker that seems to be off uh, before established FGR under the 10th percentile? It's just the abdomen. That's why ACOG and SMFMs uh, and the NICE from uh, Europe um, all have the definition of FGR as either the composite headlock estimated fetal weight of under the 10th percentile or just the isolated abdominal circumference because sometimes that's the first marker and then two to three weeks later, that baby's total weight will lag behind. 
Okay, so just as abdominal circumference is the early independent variable uh, or flag of of upcoming fetal growth restriction, altered fetal growth trajectory could also be the same and is also linked to adverse perinatal outcomes. Now, remember this big clinical pearl before we even get to this new publication. Even if that weight does not fall under the 10th percentile, even if it's above that, that altered growth trajectory, and we've covered all that data in May, is linked to potentially some bad issues, okay? So the question for this new publication that came out yesterday isn't, is altered fetal growth trajectory bad? Because that's already been established. The answer is yes. We know that's a problem. What is still unknown is which method is best, and now this publication helps to answer that. What do we call altered growth? Is it two quartiles lagging? Is it a 30 percentile lag? Um, Or is it below what it's supposed to be based at that gestational week uh, at the lower limit of what's considered normal? Okay, and we're going to go. Those are the three models we're going to talk about. A certain mathematical model called a dropping quartile is at a certain quartile flat, like a 30% or less uh, of quartile, or is it a specific number based on that gestational age for most fetuses who are at that week's gestation? Okay, so quartile jump or specific number. That's basically what we're talking about here. This is what this new publication is answering. Which model seems to be best at predicting risk of stillbirth, not just which actually end up being FGR? Okay, I think we've done enough pre-work here. Let's now, when we come back, jump into this new publication whose first listed author is Oliver Hugh. I definitely don't want to get into a lot of the same data that we did back in May 2023 because you got to go back and listen to that because this episode now just validates that content and it gives more information as to which model is best, okay? But I do have to recap and and revisit one super important thing because this does make the case that these non-FGR babies that are above the the 10th percentile but have this slow trajectory – um, are, are really are they really are at, at risk here? They're, it's not my opinion. It's not just this one publication. So I want to read you this very impactful little excerpt from Plus One back in 2016. This publication's title was "Placental Insufficiency in Fetuses That Slow in Growth But Are Born Appropriate for Gestational Age: A Prospective Longitudinal Study." Okay, so this was 2016 out of plus one. Let me just read you this super impactful, kind of scary quote. and, And this is why this should get your attention. Quote, it is plausible that placental insufficiency placing fetuses at risk of stillbirth is not restricted to those born SGA. Notably, nearly half of normally formed stillbirths are reported to be appropriate for gestational age. Let's stop there for a minute. Half of all non-malformed you know, stillbirths are appropriate for gestational age at birth. So it, it, they're not all FGR. So according to this publication and the data that keeps repeating is that's about 50% that are not growth restricted. However, if you take a look at their intrauterine environment in the past, if you go back and look at them, you find something interesting. So let me go on with their quote from 2016 and shed light on this. They continue, quote, We hypothesize that there may be a subgroup of AGA fetuses with placental insufficiency who display slowing of fetal growth trajectory while in utero. 
but do not end up with a birth weight less than the 10th percentile. Thus, they are not classified SGA. Okay, now let me stop there. Now they're calling it SGA because that's, that, of course, ref- reflecting birth weight, but in utero, of course, we would call it FGR. And then they go on to say, quote, this such cohort that has declined in weight centiles in late pregnancy may be an important under-recognized group with suboptimal placental function who are at increased risk of stillbirth, end quote. It all makes the case, guys, that being above 10th percentile is great. Being under the 10th percentile definitely increases the risk of stillbirth, which is highest under 3.5 percentile. Okay, we get that. That's not a question that's not disputed. However, you can't leave it at that. We cannot ignore those fetuses who are above the 10th percentile but have this slowed growth trajectory. It's just over and over again over the last really 10 to 15 years that we've learned that FGR is not good for sure. But slowed fetal growth trajectory isn't good either. I think now that we've all understand that ultra-fetal growth really is an issue, now let's get into our content for today. So this new publication that is set to come out in 2024 is actually not U.S.-based. It's actually from uh, New Zealand, from the New Zealand uh, District of Health, their database that actually tracked this uh, information. Now, the data was collected, obviously, prospectively because they did rate of growth ultrasounds in the third trimester, uh, recorded what happened at delivery. But then, so the data was collected prospectively, but the study design was obviously, once they chose their study period, looked at everything as a whole retrospectively, all right? So it is a retrospective analysis. It's not uh, an RCT. It's not a systematic review, but it's a pretty impressive number of births that they included uh, from this uh, population-based data bank out of New Zealand, all right? So remember that the, the question here is not whether fetal growth velocity that slows is linked to bad things because that's already been answered and the answer is yes. It is what is the best way to assess that even though the fetal weight is above the 10th percentile. That's the objective here to figure out which model is the best at predicting stillbirth risk. Once again, this was out of New Zealand and the authors looked at ultrasounds that tracked fetal growth in the third trimester and they had to have at least two ultrasounds, okay? And if they had more than that, let's say they had four ultrasounds uh, for fetal growth or whatever, let's say three or four, then they only chose the last two ultrasounds. The last two scans were used for this analysis, all right? Because those are the ones that were closest uh, tied in timing to the time of delivery, Now, they looked at three different models uh, to see which one could best predict, again, these adverse prenatal outcomes, specifically their stillbirth risk, okay? So it was three different models, model A, B, and C. Model A was a 50 percentile drop between measurements, Okay, so you got to put your your mind around what, what about the percentiles. Remember that uh, the uh, first percentile, twenty fifth percentile, is the lowest. Then comes the middle, that's the fiftieth percentile. Then comes the uh, upper percentile of seventy fifth percent, and then of course hundred percent. All right. 
So model A was, let's see what these ultrasounds said, and then apply model A, which is, was that baby under the 50% mark, basically, uh, in the growth trajectory? So from ultrasound one to ultrasound two, did that growth fall under 50 percentile? So this would be your most liberal definition, right? I mean, anything that falls under 50 percentile, we're going to say that's slowed fetal growth. Obviously, that's uh, a little bit of a stretch, but that's just one of the models that they use to calculate that. And that's one of the models that's been been proposed uh, in the past. So these authors didn't come up with this. This is something that others have proposed. Model B is a 30th uh, percentile drop, okay? So a 30 centile drop from the first one. So rather than going 50%, uh, it now falls under the 30th centile. And then model C, the third model, was to go, look, we're not looking at at percentiles at all, uh, why don't we just take a look at the projected optimal weight at that time? In other words, at 31 weeks, what is the projected optimal weight based on that population norm? Okay. Now, this is very similar to what we talked about in the uh, rule of 500s. Remember, we put that on our Instagram, the rule of 500 as a way to estimate fetal weights uh, on what is uh, just at that bottom of that cutoff for 10th percentile. Uh, and that's the rule of 500. I'm not going to get into that now. If you don't know what I'm talking about. You got to go back to our Instagram page and look at that because it, it was a little reel that we did explaining how you could figure out the rule of uh, the estimated fetal weights uh, at, at 10th percentile every three weeks. Oh, let me just review that very briefly because I know someone didn't look at that and like, I've never heard of this thing. So very briefly, starting at 28 weeks, you count every three weeks forward and the fetal weight should go up by 500 grams, hence the rule of 500, uh, to be just above the 10th percentile, all right? So this isn't 50th percentile. This is how to stay out of the red zone of 10th percentile. So at 28 weeks, it is 1,000. You go up three weeks, so that's 31 weeks. It is 1,500. Notice the plus 500 to that. And then at 34 weeks, it is 2,000. And then at 37 weeks, it is uh, 2,500. All right. That's the rule of 500 starting at 28 weeks. And again, go to Instagram as a nice little table that, that outlines that. So using something similar to that to go, Hey, if we know at 32 weeks, what that baby's weight should be the projected optimum, then we can say if this growth trajectory was normal or slowed. All right. So the first two are using centiles, a drop in 50th centile, Plan B or model B was a drop below the 30th centile. And then model C was, hey, forget about centiles. That's, those are too big. Why don't we just say what should the baby's weight be at time of this ultrasound at this gestational week uh, to be considered normal, which is above the 10th percentile mark. Okay, so this is what they used in these three different models applied to these random OB ultrasounds that were done the third trimester. Then they looked at the data and said, let's apply these three models to these and then see what happened at the end to see which one is better at predicting uh, stillbirth risk. Okay, so in terms of results, the study cohort had over 71,000 pregnancies. And remember, this was only looking at the last two scans of each pregnancy. And on average, they were performed around 32 weeks. And then the second one around 35 slash 36 weeks. Okay. Now, the three models that defined slow growth, remember, that's 50 centile drop, 30 centile drop, or drop below a projected optimal weight range. Okay. Now, here's a little clinical parole. Remember this mnemonic, P. O-W-R, projected optimal weight range, projected optimal weight range. That is P-O-W-R. 
R. That's called the power estimate, okay? P-O-W-R, power. So first one was under 50th centile, then plan B was under the 30th centile, and then the P-O-W-R model, the power model, based on the projected optimal weight range. Well, as you would expect, the one that was like super liberal, in other words, the biggest catch, which is, I'm just going to call anything under 50 centile slowed, uh, that performed the worst, right? Because that was, I mean, obviously that's just too wide of an allowance. I mean, 50 percentile, is that really that abnormal? It seems to be okay. It's right in the middle. And so that didn't do as well at predicting true altered fetal growth. The best one that seemed to predict a slowed fetal growth that was abnormal was the one that was the power model, the projected optimal weight. That did it around 10.8%. That was the highest um, turnaround, the highest efficacy of the three models to truly predict abnormal fetal growth. Now, if you're saying, well, how am I supposed to know the projected optimal weight? I mean, where does that come from? Well, you can eyeball it like, we did basically with the rule of 500, but remember the rule of 500 just keeps you out of the red zone. That's the cutoff border to 10th percentile. The nice thing is that you don't have to learn how to do this at all because as we mentioned in the intro, there is already a super easy online calculator that lets you plug this in. Uh, super user-friendly. I mean, literally, it's like plugging in two things and it pops it out called the growth rate calculator. Remember, this is not the U.S. This is not ACOG. It's not SMFM. This is from the Perinatal Institute uh, from the U.K., Okay, now I've played with this many times, I've used it, uh, and, and it's super easy. Now, let me just throw this out to you, even though I'll, I'll probably, I will give you the link on, not probably, I will, on our Instagram page, uh, I'll, I'll post this link, okay? But the growth rate calculator that all you do is put in the weeks and the estimated feet awake for scan one and then scan two, and you press calculate, and it says, ah, normal growth, or ooh, abnormal growth. This is helpful because even though that Hadlock formula is above 10th percentile, so that's the first pass, you're like, hey, you get the white card. That's great. Uh, it's not a red card which or a caution uh, card, which is yellow. It's the white card. I guess it could be green. Did I say white? Whatever. A white, green. It's, it's a good pass. You pass if you're above the 10th percentile, but you also want to pass with normal fetal growth trajectory. Okay, so the trajectory and the absolute number are both important here. So let me just give it to you now. If you're driving, do not write this down. Keep your eyes on the road. Go to the Instagram page and you can get it from that. But anyway, it is growth rate, the number two. So growth rate number two dot perinatal dot org dot UK. All right. So it is growth rate, the number two dot perinatal dot org.uk. Now, here's my disclosure. I do not represent this website. I do have no financial ties to this. The Perinatal Institute did not secretly email me to please mention this on the website. I'm just about medical education, and I think this is helpful as a quick way to figure out if this power, if the projected optimal weight uh, 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 trajectory here is normal based on what you find on your ultrasound, all right? Now, remember, not ACOG, not SMFM, but since the data has now accumulated, that growth trajectory is just as important as being FGR, uh, then this is something else to consider in your patient education and in your reporting. 
Oh, and of course, I'll also put this link, uh, I'll put this address on our reference page. Uh, as a quick reminder, remember that all of our podcast episodes are completely referenced, and you can get that either on our Facebook page, which we are phasing out, as we move over to our Instagram page. As the authors state in their results section, quote, the projected weight range method identified an additional 79%, guys, that's 79, 79% of non-SGA cases as slow growth. And these cases were associated with a significantly increased stillbirth risk with a relative risk of 2.0. Now, remember, anytime that we, as we've talked about before, anytime you look at a relative risk, you got to know what the confidence intervals are because th that's going to tell you if it's weighted by chance or if the weight is actually valid as it leads away from one, okay? So the confidence interval here was 1.2 to 3.4. Now, the 1.2 is, is that that's, that's pretty darn close to one right there, that's, it's, but it's still above 1.0. Okay, so if it crosses 1.0, you're like, ooh, I don't know, it, it kind of weakens the effect, or the effect could be strong if it's positive, uh, you know, say, up to number five or whatever. You know, if it's, well, if it's a confidence interval of one to five, then one is pretty broad because you want a narrow confidence interval, which means that, it, that that's a good estimate. It wasn't just broad by chance. Uh, so the, the narrower the confidence interval that's away from one, the better. But even if it crosses one, as long as it's headed towards the positive, it's still significant. So in this case, it is above 1.0, but it was 1.2 at the lower end, but up to 3.4 at the higher end. So that the average uh, relative risk was 2.0. Guys, 2.0 relative risk of stillbirth is not negligible. And remember, this would be an interesting publication if this was the only one out there. If this was the one piece of data that said altered fetal growth trajectory seems to be worrisome. All right. It's interesting. Maybe we need more data. But that other data has already been out. And we covered that once again on May the 8th, 2023. This is reinforced in the author's conclusion when they state, quote, fetal growth velocity has the potential to improve antenatal recognition of fetuses who are at risk of stillbirth for serial growth surveillance in the third trimester, assessment of estimated fetal weight against the projected optimal weight range. Remember, that's the POWR, can help identify non-SGA fetuses that are at significantly increased risk, end quote. Before we end the episode, I do have to be very clear that this publication is not the first one to analyze different uh, growth trajectory models and try to correlate it to adverse neonatal outcomes because, uh, oddly enough, the same author actually published a comparative review of five fetal growth velocity models uh, back in May of 2023. Okay, this was published in Ultrasounds in Obstetrics and Gynecology, and there was two authors here. One was Gardosi, and then, of course, was Hugh. Um, if that sounds familiar, that's because that's the author of this publication that we just reviewed. And as you would expect, the findings were exactly the same. In this May 2023 publication out of Ultrasound in Obstetrics and Gynecology, the authors state, quote, comparative analysis of the five clinically used methods to define slow fetal growth has shown that only the measurement interval specific POWR model can identify non-SGA fetuses with slow growth that are at increased risk of stillbirth, end quote. 
All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. Once again, this is not brand new info. We did cover this months ago in in the middle of summer of 2023. But this really does validate this concept that slowed fetal growth trajectory could be a red flag. All right. Well, not could be is a red flag for some adverse perinatal outcomes. Now, we also have this value of using this online calculator, but again, I have to be very clear that is not US-based, even though it shouldn't make a difference, but it is from the Perinatal Institute from the UK, and it's not from ACOG or SMFM, but as an educational and prognostic tool here can better help us take care of our patients here in the States and really everywhere else. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. As always, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.